So there are really a few things that I think are beneficial to becoming a thought leader. One of them, it's really a process of internal reflection and introspection to figure out why is your thinking different? And I said a little bit earlier about how every innovative product is an idea about change. To become really specific yourself with yourself about the change that you want to bring into the world and why that matters. And one of the things that I do when I coach clients at this early strategy level is I push them a little bit and I say, they'll tell me the story about their product. I'm usually pretty excited about it because there's so many great innovators out there. Uh, but I'll push them and say, why does that matter? Why does that matter? Hello, dreamers and action takers. Welcome to another episode of the Want Money, Got Money podcast. It is extremely important to be a thought leader in today's business world. That's why I wanted to inter- interview Christopher Fox. He helps people all around the world become a thought leader. So let's get into it and listen from Christopher on how he does that. So Christopher, it's great to have you on the show and and would love to know a bit more about what you do and how you help businesses, how you help individuals, how you help companies. Yep. Yeah, thanks, Sam. Thanks for the intro. It's, it's I'm really glad to be able to join your, your show today. So just a quick intro, give some context about myself. My name is Christopher Fox. I'm the managing partner of Synchrosis, which is a company that I founded back in 2007. And Synchrosis has had a kind of a long and winding path. But I think what's most relevant is what we do now, which is we focus on thought leadership strategies and thought leadership execution, in other words, content development, exclusively for the world of financial innovators. And I say that it's not exactly an industry. It can be a fintech startup, which I know is really closer to the interests of your audience. Or we also work with some of the biggest global banks that have an innovation pod internally, and they need support with uh, their thought leadership. And, And when I talk about thought leadership, just to keep everyone on the same page here. Thought leadership is really, it's a communication strategy where you're not marketing your product features. You're not focusing on product benefits. You're not advertising. You're not talking about deals and pricing. You're talking about the ideas that your products represent. And so what we do is we work with financial innovators, help them pull those ideas out and get those ideas as crisp and as compelling as possible so that they can then go take those ideas into the market and advocate for change. Because that's what I believe about any financial innovators, especially a startup. Startups get started because they want to change something. Absolutely. Absolutely. 100%. Yeah, earlier I was just um, talking about what we are building. And one of the reasons why we got started or why we are building what we are building is because even though I've had two exits in the past, I did not invest any of my proceeds or any of my money, the capital gains I did into stocks or cryptocurrency or, or anything like that. It's only in the recent time I started in a year, last two years, and I could immediately see the positive impact it had on my financial value. And I started thinking that, hey, are there more people in the world who are not doing this? And what I found was absolutely mind boggling. It's like in countries like India, 98% people do not own any stocks or cryptocurrency or anything like that in 
you might think that it's better in US, but because of 401k and things like that, but it's not that much better. It's nearly half of all American families don't even have 401k. So they have no exposure to stock market or so for the last 80 years, when the stock market has gone up, it does not help the bottom 80%. And because of it's just not part of the whole education system. And that is something what we wanted to change because what stopped me was it was it looked all too complicated everything like all the screens and everything in the in there's so much choice 10,000 different stocks you could choose from they just didn't know where to start and it looked too risky so I thought can we make it fun can we make it like not boring and all that can we remove the risk for people and yeah and just see what what happens so that's why we built insider.com so if it's a if it's a um, startup like ours and a lot of the listeners of this show are early stage tech startup founders. Right. So if it's a startup like ours, what advice would you give them, give someone like me on becoming a, a thought leader in this space? So there are really a few things that I think are beneficial to becoming a thought leader. One of them, it's really a process of internal reflection and introspection to figure out why is your thinking different? And I said a little bit earlier about how every innovative product is an idea about change. To become really specific yourself with yourself about the change that you want to bring into the world and why that matters. And one of the things that I do when I coach clients at this early strategy level is mm -hmm. I push them a little bit and I say, they'll tell me the story about their product. I'm usually pretty excited about it because there are so many great innovators out there, mm -hmm. uh, but I'll push them and say, why does that matter? Why yeah. does that matter? I could do the same with you. I, I fully believe in what you've just described. I think democratizing investment is an, an amazing thing to do, especially at, uh, with a global investor base and yes. the tools providing sound useful for those people that just have no experience in the market. But in a thought leadership con consultation, I would push you and I would say, why is that important? Why does that matter? And you would give me that answer. And I would ask you again, why does that matter? Yeah. And keep getting to you until, until you really get to that root. And so this sounds very philosophical and meditative and, and not pragmatic at all, but it's actually very pragmatic because once you begin to see how and why you're a thought leader and in terms of more practical things, from there, it's almost like magic, the messaging that you need to put out in the world, the things that you're going to say at conferences and events and in your blog posts and in social media all become really clear because they cluster around this one idea that this is the change that you are out there advocating for in the world. And then you can really figure out if that's true, where do I need to be positioning my thought leadership, all these different media channels that are available to me? What do I need to be saying? How often? And then you get to the more pragmatic aspects of thought leadership. And, and that's how it works. It's having the very upfront, incredible clarity around your idea for change. And from there, a lot of it, I don't want to pretend that it's easy and it just happens, but it, it becomes, you get so much more certainty about how to proceed from there. And then it just makes a lot of sense. Okay, I'm going to blog about this once a week and all these different facets and angles of this one idea that I'm out there representing. And yeah. that's what I think, that's what I would advise 
startups too. It works for large companies that have a lot of marketing resources, but anyone can pick up a keyboard and blog. Anyone can pick up a microphone and podcast. Anyone exactly can that. post media and you can do it. And, and at the startup level, it helps you, depends on where you are in your business. It, it can help you acquire or at least attract the interest of um, early stage users or, or customers if it's a B2B situation or a B2C situation. It can help put you on the radar of investors because imagine yourself as a, you're in a VC and you look mm-hmm. at two companies that are doing something similar, but one has just such a crystal clear story about what they're doing and why. And you've heard that story because they've been putting it out there. And the other just, it seems fuzzy. Maybe it's a good idea. Maybe it's not. Which one are you going to direct your investment to? Yeah, absolutely. The one with the clearer story, because storytelling is so much. It's everything is stories, whether we, even the money we use, is, it's a story that, that has some rules around it. But I believe in the power of, of good storytelling. And I've seen like really good founders who have managed to raise, or even really good VCs, because they, even they need to raise money, who have managed to raise insane amounts of money. It's because they have an amazing story that maybe someone like you who helped them refine it. Yeah. So after say a fintech startup or a thought leader in that year, you're helping them, you help them refine the story. What happens then? What do you do with them next after that? So there are really a few directions that we go from that point. It it depends on their needs. It depends on the amount of time that they have. Uh, But I would really put it in a few categories. One of them is more on the level of coaching and mentorship, where on On a regular repeating basis, my client at that level would come back to me and we would talk about what should we do? What do you think about these ideas? Oh, it wasn't this particular story that happened in the news really interesting. What do you think that means and and how could I comment on it? So it's a coaching and mentoring in a very conversational style to help them narrow down. Okay, here's your topic. Here are your three messages. Go Now you can go write it. So that's version number one. Version number two, some of them as as a founder of a company, when you are doing that, you're very busy. You don't necessarily have a lot of time to be doing weekly writing and all of those. So we do include in our service offering the ability to, we'll ghostwrite that content for you because we get really close to you and we understand your thinking and we also understand your voice. We can write for you as you and it. It it feel it does not feel like content that's just being produced by some generic agency. It, it feels like content that's coming from that client and coming really from their you know from their deepest beliefs and values. Yeah, that yes, that sounds really good. Talking about thought leadership in the whole sort of finance industry, who do you look up to at the moment? Who do you think is doing an exceptional job in this industry? Yeah, I, I won't mention my clients. That's rather arrogant. So I'll put that aside. Look, feel free because it's it's great. It's great for um, people listening to this to get some examples because I'm going to put links of what we talk about in the show notes. So then people can go out and check those people and see what they are doing and see how you are helping them and all that. So feel free sure. and give me so, some other examples as well. Honestly, it was a little joke. So one of one of the one of the interesting things in because finance and fintech is such a regular regulated space. And there's often a lot of terms and conditions. 
I yes. always am under strict NDA with my clients. So yes. and anyone that I do mention by definition is not a client of mine. I, I might wish they were because they do yes. great work, but they're not a client. And, and one that I would mention, this is really much more on, on the big institutional bank side, but yes. I think they're a great model, which is on a Deutsche Bank. Yeah. If, if you look at the way Deutsche Bank produces just a steady stream of thought leadership, they have their own digital magazine. They're constantly putting articles out in um, different formats. They're constantly pe- subject matter experts from Deutsche Bank are all over the place you know, today in virtual events, back in, in the old days in in-person events as well. Really, uh, of all the, the big banks, if, if you go, you, you can start just going to their website and looking the, the way that they're put, they put their thinking forward. Yes. is really impressive. And I see that as it's a real testament to the team there that's doing it. That, as I said, again, I have no involvement in it other than the admiration that I feel every time I see what they're doing. So I would certainly peg them as really strong thought leaders and yes. uh, you know, a great example to follow. That is, yeah, that's a very good example. So say there is a fintech startup or just any startup, if they want to get more um, speaking opportunities, you talk about how their Deutsche Bank is everywhere at every speaking event they are right. there. If they do want to get this sort of an opportunity, what can they do, uh, a startup do, to, yeah, get their foot in the door? Sure. So one of the things that's really important to keep in mind about thought leadership is it's not a one-time investment. You, it's I suppose theoretically it's possible to publish one blog post or put one thing on social media and have it go super viral. But realistically, it's unlikely to happen. And what you need to do is have a, a steady cadence and, and a plan, a strategy, that the same way that you have a strategy for your business. You're at a particular starting point. You're building what you're building. You're going to take it to market in various phases. You're going to evolve the product in various phases. Thought leadership, it's the same structure. You start off with a seed and then you cultivate that seed by publishing a little bit more, a little bit more, getting traction. And it's not at all about numbers. It's not at all about SEO. I actually believe that I would rather spend my energy all day just influencing and touching three people in some kind of meaningful and fundamental way than boosting my keyword ranking by you know, 20, 30%. I feel like it's such a better return on investment when, especially when you're at that level of building your company and building your position as a thought leadership, because those are the things that ultimately beget returns. You SEO is great for product marketing. Like I'm, I'm not completely dumping on the idea of optimizing and, and using all of these tools and techniques that people talk about so much in the world of digital marketing. But I always want to point out that thought leadership isn't necessarily about that. It's not about having uh, 10,000 random people come to your page because it's been SEO optimized, but they have nothing to do with you and no interest and no likelihood to buy. It's really more about understanding those audiences that you want to influence and then in a very intentional, strategic way, building your content piece by piece so that you're, you're recognized as that thought leader. 
Yeah, that is yeah, super useful advice. What do you see as exceptional thought leaders do really well compared to mediocre ones? I think exceptional thought leaders tell the truth. Mediocre thought leaders spill the party line. And that's yeah. especially, again, because a lot of my experience is more skewed on the corporate side, you get, you, you see these situations where someone is really just trying to speak the official language and stick to the talking points. And they sound like a very polished, but very inauthentic politician. You can never get them off the talking points that they have versus someone who's willing to be authentic and honest and say what they know, say what they believe is an issue, but they don't have a solution to, but they understand it's an industry issue that requires work among all sorts of stakeholders to, to take action on. Um, it, it's that kind of honesty that people will believe you because that thought leadership isn't just about saying things. It's about building that reputation and credibility. And the, the best way to be high reputation and highly credible is to tell the truth. Yeah, that's again excellent yeah advice and this is just going on a on a tangent because you work in this field did you follow the whole the whole game gamestop saga I did yes and and what did you think of vlad the robin hood ceo's response like because he was being invited everywhere to talk about it and stuff because that company was in such middle of the or the eye of the storm during that whole thing was happening. So yeah, how would you rate his response? So I would say it's always easy to look at these things after the fact and be Absolutely. The, yes. know, the, the armchair quarterback or the backseat yes. driver, whatever metaphor you want. It's really easy yes. to say this is what should have happened when in yes. reality, I also know what it's like to be in the middle of one of those crises Yes. You're freaking out. Everyone around you is running around at a thousand miles an hour with their hair on fire. It's yes. incredibly difficult to be calm and be focused and just be really direct and honest about, we made a judgment call. Either we stand by it for these reasons and that's it. Or we admit that it was not the best judgment to make. And it's, it's, there are dangers associated with that because then you're opening yourself up potentially to lawsuits, et cetera. They're getting it anyway, first yeah. of all. So sometimes those fears that, pe- that communicators have about opening themselves up to, to legal action by saying certain things in the public sphere, it ends up happening anyway. And clearly there are things that are proprietary or confidential that cannot be communicated in the public for, for all sorts of different reasons. Uh, But I do think that by trying to wiggle their way through their way around the issue, rather than being more direct and upfront about it and just more, more calm and measured in their response that um, Robin Hood created more problems for itself than they needed to. Yeah, yeah, very true. Yeah, I thought it was just that they needed the funds and they didn't want people to not trust them in 
take their counts everywhere else. So that's why being so diplomatic. But then again, once again, people are not silly. People can read through, especially when you go on public, on especially listening to Clubhouse and what happened. And everyone was then later on talking about it, being living in this sort of same sort of world that, yeah, people can read through when you give a diplomatic um, answer, which is neither yes, neither no. Yeah, people are not silly. So yeah, it's exactly, I completely um, agree with what you say. Where do you think the trend is going in the next few years when it comes to social media and thought leadership and yeah, just promoting yourself or building and as yourself as an authority figure? Yeah, so... If, if I really knew the future and the answer to that, I'd probably be a, a lot wealthier <laughs> within five years. Uh, but, but what I will say is what I would like to see happen. And I yes. think there are real roots of this potentially happening, which is more and more focus on micro audiences. You know, stop worrying about achieving that mass appeal all the time, going for the biggest traffic numbers, going for the biggest X, going for the biggest Y. Uh, but just getting very close and very focused on the messaging that you want to deliver to micro audiences. So that's one piece. And I think some of that is emerging. You mentioned Clubhouse. That's a great example yes. of it is this constellation of micro audiences and they all overlap and they all feed each other. So eventually the network effect isn't by having, well, 20,000 followers and connections on LinkedIn but it's the connections between all of these groups of 20 or 30 or 100 people who speak to each other with more authenticity and more trust. So that's one thing. I think another thing that, that, that is really an aspirational goal for thought leadership is people getting away from depending on the big platforms. And I don't mean never use LinkedIn and only have your own blog. I don't mean never go on Facebook. I don't mean anything like that. But what I mean is for, for a long time, especially in the early days of those channels, it seemed this is a really great way to get free or relatively cheap exposure. Yeah. And what happens in the same thing happens in the world of, of Google and SEO, you're constantly playing catch up with algorithms. Yes. These, the, the big platforms, they control the algorithms. They do so because they have the commercial interests that they have. Yes. And if you are a hundred percent dependent on that, it's, it's not necessarily the best metaphor, but it's, there, there's this, this whole idea. I don't know how global it is, but in, in the U S there's a, a terrible history of the way farmland was allocated and people would become sharecroppers. You don't own the land, but you're forced to essentially almost serfdom, even though you are being paid for it. That's really your only way of getting your yield and getting your crops and, and feeding your family. And in some ways, people end up in that position on these platforms because you're always chasing the next change in the algorithms. And I laugh sometimes. Everyone is so scared about what Google is doing, the change yes. to the handle keys and all that. So this is a situation that you put yourself in for the, those companies that are so afraid of it. You, you created those dependencies by making, and again, I'm, I'm really not saying that Google is the devil. It's just a metaphor. You've made a deal yes. with the devil and yeah. now you have to handle the consequences. Yeah. So 
My point in all that is that these platforms are useful as ways to try to like fun- funnel traffic through and to explore and experiment and do all these things. Ultimately, people need to have their own channels and those channels need to be clear and cultivated so that it ties back to the idea of uh, the micro audience as well. As I was saying, especially from a thought leadership perspective, again, this is not product marketing, it's thought leadership. I would rather have a hundred or a thousand or, or whatever fairly small number of people paying attention to my blog that I publish on my, my site that I host and I handle and I, I play around yes. with when I want to change the design than to have 10 times that number of followers on LinkedIn. But LinkedIn sets all the rules for what appears in their yes. feed. Absolutely. LinkedIn still has a really good sort of organic reach. The organic reach on Facebook is non-existent because no one is there anymore. But yeah, it's it's very, very interesting. I don't know if you have been following the rise of finance TikTok or stock talk or stock or on TikTok. It is massive, absolutely massive. And it's completely algorithm driven. So you could have zero followers, but you could get 5 million views based on what the algorithm thinks. Or you could have quarter million followers and you could get 10 views because if algorithm likes it, it will promote it. And the algorithm is absolutely next level in, in TikTok. I have never seen anything like that, any platform. And I've been, I've been doing Google ads in since 2004 or 2003. So it's, yeah, it's very interesting. But once again, as you say that I've been like uh, one of the thing that we used to sell was in the nutraceutical space in the e-commerce. And then every country has a different pharmaceutical regulations and everything. And then we have been banned for a month or two on Google until they realized that also it was a by mistake. But then your whole business could get disrupted and you're pretty much relying on a random algorithm. And that was back in the day. So they were eventually we got some response from them. Now web is so big and everything is so complicated. You wouldn't even realize that algorithm has like shadow banned you for something that you use a word or something you use somewhere that you weren't supposed to. And you wouldn't even know because there is no, it's not too big communication and yeah you could be completely blocked <laughs> um, no, no yeah it does happen i've seen that happen to artists as well on, on instagram just a completely yes. unrelated topic but an artist may post an image that somehow or other gets a lot of people making complaints against community guidelines yes. and saying there's some issue with this image maybe they don't like the political content of it exactly who knows what right. yes Artists who can become very dependent on having that following, artists that aren't being shown in the big galleries and all that, much more in the smaller market areas of of the art world, they're dependent on those followers. And if Instagram locks them out, as we're saying, all of a sudden, they've done nothing wrong. They've they've simply expressed whatever expression they wanted to put out there with the creative work that they published, and it attracted... Some some bubble of you know, irrational aggression. People attacked yes. it, and they they lose so much. So it's that's a it's a similar parallel to all these. This could happen to any one of us at any time. Yeah, yeah, very true. I've got a couple more questions, and one of that is: What's a good book that you recommend in this whole area of thought leadership? So there are several books that I think are really valuable. 
typically not about thought leadership itself, but more about these processes of really going deep into your own thinking and understanding the roots of it. So one of them would be this book called Reboot by Jerry Colonna. It it is absolutely brilliant. I I love this book so much. I, I give it as a gift to clients. I've read it five or six times. I think I need a new copy because I finally underlined every single word. It's a fantastic book and it has absolutely nothing to do with thought leadership other than if you think about it from a mindset perspective and it's actually about leadership leadership. Yeah. But the parallels to me anyway, because of my own interest and passion and thought leadership, it becomes really clear. So I would recommend that more directly in the world of marketing and communication, anything Seth Godin writes, I think is, is oh, something I love his, I love his podcast, the, his books about creative work. I'm going to have to turn my head because I have it right behind me and I forgot the title. The Practice. That's right. The so practice. He has a That's the latest one. Latest one. That it's, it's not really about thought leadership. It's about creativity, but your yes. thought leadership had better be creative. And again, reading that book or This Is Marketing is another one. Yes. All the, all the light bulbs go off when you yeah. read his work. Oh yeah, I yeah, I absolutely big fan of and look, I believe that he's done a marvelous job in positioning himself as the thought leader when it comes to marketing and communication and just building your own sort of creative endeavor on the side. Yeah, I yeah, I a big fan of Seth Godin. One of the other question I have is if you had to start all over again, what would you do differently? So you're fresh out of college. My trajectory was especially bizarre in that I got my doctorate in French literature and I taught at the university level for two years. So my, my, my actual career start and what I currently do have nothing to do with each other. If I were truly to start over or to go back to, to one particular decision point, I think I would have decided to focus on financial services earlier. And the reason why I say that is, is not because of financial services per se, although I, I really enjoy working in it, but I spent a, a bunch of years in my business. As I said, it's been um, operating since 2007, being a generalist. And you'd think bigger market, more opportunity. Absolutely not. I really spun my wheels. I, I kept things going. I'm still here. I'm still financially sound and healthy, but it was a struggle. And as soon as I made that decision, I'm going to become extremely focused and specific on one particular thing. Opportunities opened up here, there, everywhere. The business, the moment I narrowed the field the, the, the is when it really took off. And instead of just trucking along roughly the same revenue every year, it just spiked. And I was like, wow, look at this. Yeah. You have to niche down. You have to find your tribe. <laughs> yep. That's right. Going back to that. But, um, yes. Yes. And the final question is that, do you have, Oscar, are you looking for anything? Are you looking for, I don't know, team members, customers, employees, anything? Yeah. New clients are always great. I, first of all, I'd like, you know, especially because I know that your audience is a lot of people in the, in the startup world. Yes. I love starting to stop speaking with startups. I am very much, I, I, I give away a lot of information. I give away a lot of knowledge. One of my asks would be, you'll see my details in the show notes. Just connect with me on LinkedIn. And if you have a question, ask me. And I'll be really happy to talk about it. And 
if you're in a position to, and it seems like a good fit, we can talk about a more commercial relationship. I have some pretty good and, and easy price point products around just that initial strategy, what I was talking about before, about just the, the push to give you all the tools and the inspiration around your thought leadership. So that's an option, but I'm not going to sell that to you. If, if you connect with me on LinkedIn, I probably should do more of it, but I, I almost never advertise or talk about my products, partly because that's true to what I'm saying, right? Which is if you are a thought leader, people come to you and the opportunities work out for you. Um, partly not in my nature, my temperament to, to be like that. But really, that's what I say. If you're truly interested in, this is something I know I need to do and invest in, of course, please come to my website or connect with me on LinkedIn and we'll have that conversation. But if you just are you know, thinking about it or interested in, all, I think the best thing people can do is connect with me on LinkedIn and then you'll see the, the thought leadership and thinking and ideas that I'm posting on a basis. And hopefully it will provide insights and, and things that you, that your audience can use. That's, yeah, that's excellent. What I'll do is I'll put a link to your LinkedIn, to your website, everything under in the show notes. And when this goes live, I will share it on LinkedIn and everywhere I'm active. So that's great. Thank you th so much for your time and all your insight when it comes to communication, PR and thought leadership. Thanks. Yeah, Thanks, Christian. Thank you. It was a great, really great discussion. I enjoyed it a lot. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Want Money, Got Money with Sam Kamani. Hope you enjoyed the show and got some valuable insights that would help you in your startup or your business. If you haven't already, please subscribe and rate this show on your favorite platform. It would be extremely helpful and I just cannot tell you how much I would appreciate that.